Hey church, so glad that you have joined us. We are here in the studio with uh, 17 of my closest friends. Um, it is so, uh, it's just so fun. We've had an opportunity now to meet in person with a few people and it is so exciting and meaningful. Hey, in case you didn't know, um, people are meeting in their homes all over the world with some people, with three people, two people, five people, 20 people. Uh, we got people meeting in parks and cafes. We got people, uh, I was going to say people meeting um, at SeaWorld and Disneyland, but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. Chick, that's true. We do have people meet at Chick-fil-A. By the way, the love of my life is here. My wife, of, uh, I, she was doing an interview today um, with, uh, with a pastor friend of ours for their uh, church, and she said we've been married almost 22 years. And I was like, oh my word, 22 years. That's impressive. Have you ever been impressed with yourself? I'm very <laughs> impressed with myself. I'm impressed with my wife for putting up for me, uh, with me for 22 years. I jumped on a Zoom call, by the way, speaking of yesterday, and someone asked me, Judith, do you always have this same energy? And it wasn't like a compliment. You ever had someone like, are you always this hyper? You know, that was really the question. And the answer, unfortunately, was yes. Can you imagine living 22 years with me? Uh, it's a nightmare. But the point is, here we are. Together again, love you, church. Um, I got really excited to share some verses. What we're going to do in this sermon is I'm going to give you three verses that you're going to need in the area of shame. So I want to talk about shame. I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, shame is an interesting topic because if there is anyone who has ever claimed not to be affected by shame, that person would be untrue. Uh, shame is like paint. Uh, we use it and put it everywhere. It is everywhere we go, and uh, we use it on ourselves the most, if we're honest. In fact, I have found that the most, uh, the people that use it the most on others is because they use it the most on themselves, right? And it's, it's called projection. So we're going to talk about shame, and if you've never used it on yourself, again, you know where I'm going. You are a drone, Wait, I don't think that's the that's the term. You're not a drone. Is like a little remote control thing. You're a a robot. Thank you. Um, but for the rest of us, um, you're a clone. That's what I was looking for. You're a clone, not a drone. Those are very different things. Um, but uh, the the point is, shame has affected us all. We've all felt disgraced. We've all felt discredited. We've all felt disqualified. Isn't that funny? You, you ever been hanging out with a bunch of people and it's like everything's going great and then a subject comes up and you're like, oh man, I, I, I can't really speak to that because of something I've done. Um, because that's the one topic, you know, I failed in this area or I failed in that area. Maybe it's the topic of relationships and romance and you're like, oh boy, here we go. I'm not speaking to that because I feel humiliated. I feel embarrassed. I haven't done well in relationships or friendships, or maybe the subject of mom and dad comes up and you're like, I hate, I don't like my mom and dad at all. Like I never talked to them or, you know, haven't talked to my mom in two years and whatever it is, whatever topic it is, there's always some sort of topic that brings us to that inner feeling of, oh man, you know, uh, we got this little puppy. I've talked to you about the puppy a little bit, but I'm in love. 
Um, but watching the emotions of this puppy is fascinating. And the puppy can definitely experience shame. And it's like physically this little puppy just like, you know, you see the shame, you see the excitement, you see the joy. By the way, anyone who comes to our house, the puppy truly believes it's the second coming of the Christ, right? Any visitors, the puppy's just like, ah! There's no guard dog in our little puppy, okay? He's just a lover of all people. Um, but if he does something wrong, and we, we try not to use shame on our puppy. Now that I think about it, we've been very positive with our puppy. I don't practice shame with my puppy, and I'm very proud of that. But the puppy already knows when it's failed or done wrong, and it kind of feels bad, and it physically you know, we do the same thing as human beings, don't we? We can physically kind of feel shame. Um, so I want to give you three verses. Three verses that what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack them. I'm going to explain them, try to apply them a little bit in an effort to help you along your way. Someone once said communication and preaching, or I'll say preaching, or a preacher hasn't preached until people have heard what was preached. The goal in all of the messages we preach at church home is not for you to sit there and go, fascinating, impressive, great story, what a delivery. No, the point of church home is that we get together and go, man, I could use that. Wow, that really relates to my life. Wow, tomorrow morning, that's going to help. Uh, a pastor once told me, if you're preaching on Sundays, you should always preach to people's Mondays, right? Always preach to people's life. And so this is a sermon, as are all sermons, but especially this sermon, I just want to help all of us. Frankly, I want to help myself on the subject of embarrassment, guilt, condemnation, shame, feeling the feelings of being disqualified. Um, shame might be one of the most dominant aspects of the human experience. And technology has lessened shame. Oh wait, no, no, no. Technology has increased the use of shame. Have you noticed? We're using shame more than we have ever used before. And what I have discovered is that shame is a very poor motivator for life. It's a very poor motivator. Ever heard of this term? Shame on you. What a horrible statement. Well, shame on you. It doesn't work. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. If it worked, I would work it and we would use it, but it doesn't work. Shame, guilt, condemnation, these things are not going to serve you. So I want to give you three verses to fight shame, three, three verses to use on shame in your journey. Now, here's the awesome caveat here in this sermon. It doesn't matter what your shame is connected to. These three verses will work every time. They're going to work every single time, and that should be good news. Have we prayed? God, bless this sermon. Amen. <laughs> you guys are amazing. Did you see that? It was incredible. Everyone bowed their head, and it was like, it was too quick. It's too quick. <laughs> That's awesome. Three verses. Here we go. You ready? I'm gonna be, the first one is probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible on the subject of shame, but it's oftentimes the most misunderstood. And it goes like this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there is now no condemnation, which is to say 
If you believe in Jesus, not assuming that everyone watching or participating believes in Jesus or has accepted Jesus as the once and for all sacrifice for all our error, wrong, and sin, but the scripture says for all those considering, for all those inquiring, for all those pursuing, for all those open to it, when you accept Jesus for who he claimed to be, there is in that second, in that moment you accept Jesus, there's no more condemnation at play which means that any shame you're experiencing is actually illegally participating in your lifestyle and the trajectory of your path. It's actually not supposed to be there. It's not allowed to be there. Now, if we allow shame, if we allow guilt, even when it's illegally participating in our life, it can still affect us in dramatic ways, can it? I don't know about you, but I've had many a days where I don't want to get out of bed, not because I'm tired, not because I'm sore, not because I went to yoga or actually worked out, but because I just feel guilty. I feel discredited. I feel disqualified. I'd rather just pull up the covers, hope for the best, and watch reruns of Saved by the Bell, right? Like, I, I, I don't, I, I can't get out of bed, and it's got nothing to do with my physical state, It's got everything to do with my emotional state because I feel disgraced. I feel ashamed. Romans 8, 1 says there is actually, quite literally, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about what no condemnation means and let me define for you what in Christ Jesus is. Okay, these two things are going to be really important. No condemnation has two dimensions to it or two aspects to it. Number one, it means you are not guilty. And number two, it means no fear of punishment. It means, in fact, the guilt you feel is a lie because you're not guilty. Now, the reason we can say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, by the way, when it came to the translators of this verse, much deliberation and debate happened thousands of years ago, long before you and I were ever born, because actually the transliterators, if you will, that's probably not how you say it, but the translators of this verse in the original language actually could not believe what this verse says. So you'll notice in some English translations, it'll actually read, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but who walk according to the spirit. That was added later. As scary as that sounds, it was added later. If you do research and thank God for some of the historical finds and discoveries over the course of the last thousands of years, we have discovered that this verse has a period right after Christ Jesus, and that is where the verse ends. The verse ends with, there is that now, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation is not based on your performance. I'm going to say it again. The absence of shame in your life is not based on your performance when it comes to Jesus. The absence or the refuting of shame in your life is based on Jesus' performance, not your performance. It's based on Jesus' performance, not your performance. Now, before we go any further in this message on three verses to use on shame, let's be very clear. We are establishing from the get-go for the next few minutes that when it comes to our relationship with shame, we are invoking the performance of Jesus. We are not holding on to our own. 
Now, if this was a TED Talk, if this was just a speech, and I was telling you how to overcome shame, and it was all based on our performance, it was all based on our resume, it was all based on how we've handled relationships, or we've handled our parents, or we've handled our lust, or we've handled our lying, or we've handled our work, or we've handled our timeliness, you know, whatever it might be. Well, the truth is there's a lot of guiltiness in all of us. You want to talk about timeliness? I think when someone says it starts at 6 p.m., I'm like, 6.20 is probably the perfect time to arrive. You know what I mean? Like 20 minutes, things will have been gotten going a little bit, and we'll have to stand around. You know, like, so, so I'm guilty as charged on a litany of things in life, right? I exaggerated today, i.e., I lied. Someone said, hey, have you seen this? And I hadn't seen it, but I said yes, because Chelsea had seen it, and it told me the details. So I... <laughs> kind of was like, I saw it. And I was talking to a friend. They're like, so what'd you say? And I was like, I lied. And I said, I did. And I didn't. Have you ever done that? Like, have you seen this movie? And you're like, yeah. And you're like, why did I lie about seeing that movie? That's so stupid. Like, why didn't I just say, no, I've never seen the movie. And then the conversation would have moved on. But like, I want to connect with people so bad. I'm so codependent that I'll lie and say that I saw a movie just to connect with you, right? So like guilty as charged. But this speech this message, this sermon that we're, we're, we're engaging in is on the basis of God's performance. That's why it says in Christ Jesus, and we'll talk more about what that means. But no condemnation means you have actually been given a verdict and it's not guilty. So right now, I want you to think of what you are guilty of when in reality you are. What are you guilty of? Are you guilty of lying today? Are you guilty of lusting today? Are you guilty of cheating today? Are you guilty of jealousy today? Are you guilty of gossip today? Are you guilty of overeating today? Are you guilty? Like there's so many things. Some of you are like, this is not an encouraging sermon. What are you guilty? If you have received the free gift of Jesus, you now can look at whatever, quite literally, you are guilty of and say, I am not guilty. Not that you didn't do it, but that what Jesus did has now brought you the opportunity to be completely and perpetually forgiven for all that you're guilty of. So you with confidence today, if you have received the free gift of Jesus, can say to whatever in fact you are guilty of, I have been forgiven, the price has been paid, and I am not guilty. I am not guilty. Now, sometimes you have to say that out loud. I am not guilty of that. I am free of that. That doesn't define me, and that's not who I am. Now, the worst part of shame that we don't want to talk about is its impending doom that it promises. Do you understand what I'm saying? You reap what you sow. You watch out now. God, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. So in other words, if you cheated, guess what? You are going to have to face the punishment for what you have done. Now, the irony is we have preached the gospel. Gospel means good news. And I know that's sometimes hard to believe because a lot of gospel preaching is really bad news, <laughs> such as we tell people that, that, that you are guilty. Now, I'm not talking about, no, we can tell people that haven't put their faith in Jesus that you, know, you have to kind of handle your own actions, right? But we have decided, many of us in this room and many watching that I would rather like to count on the performance of Jesus than my performance. My performance 
stinks. Jesus' performance is perfect. I choose his. I want to be with Jesus. He forgives me. That's awesome. Now, a lot of people haven't maybe made that decision yet, and so there is a level of guilt. But once you make the decision to receive the performance of Jesus and believe in Jesus, not only are you not guilty of what you're guilty of, but you now have no fear of punishment. You now have no fear of punishment. You hear me? No fear of punishment. Now, consequences are not punishments. And what I mean by that is when you put your hand on a hot stove and you feel pain, that's not punishment. That's God keeping you from burning your fingers off. There's a big difference. There's a big, big difference that we don't have time to get into the nuance and the distinctions of, but I'm just going to leave that for your own consideration, your own research, and your own study. But the fear of God judging you or punishing you for what you have done is not good Bible, gospel, teaching, or preaching. What I am telling you is that if you are expecting to have more drama in a romance or a relationship in the future because you hurt someone or you used someone or you treated someone selfishly, if you have put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know you are forgiven and free and you no longer are obligated to expect and anticipate bad things to happen to you because you've done bad things. That's not in the Bible. That's not good teaching. And yet what we do is we try to motivate ourselves by saying, I am not going to do it because if I do that, if I do that, something bad will happen to me. In fact, the gospel is the opposite. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow his ways and his pathway because something good has happened to me. Bad is a bad motivator. Good is a good motivator. It is the goodness of God, the Bible says, that causes us to change our view of him, ourselves, and our world. The the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of perspective. It's a change of your worldview. Your worldview cannot be bad conscious and sin conscious. Now, because of the goodness of Jesus, we are goodness conscious, we are grace conscious, and we are Jesus conscious. So Romans 8.1 frees us up from a guilty verdict. It frees us up from a fear of punishment for all the bad things we've done. Come on, some of you still feel like the 90s are going to catch up with you. The early 2000s, the 2010s are going to come back to bite me. I'll tell you what, I was a wild man in 20, you know, whatever it is. How many conversations we have all had? Lived in Vegas for two years. That's going to catch up to me eventually, you know. It's going to come out in my kids, you know. I lived my wild side. Now watch my son, right? And we say all these things because we think, but Romans 8, 1 says supernaturally when you put your faith in Jesus, you enter into a whole new worldview and realm of thinking and living. So now we don't say, because I did this, I'm going to get this. In other words, if I do bad, I don't get bad anymore. I do bad and I get good because Jesus became bad so that I can become good so that I can expect good. Now, the irony is at this juncture, there are so many scholars and preachers and thinkers 
and evangelicals and Christians all over the world that want to push back when we start talking like this. And all I would propose is what is, in fact, the alternative? Are we going to promote that? No, we all, we shouldn't, we shouldn't expect too many good things. Why? Well, because bad stuff's going to happen. Well, that's just dumb logic. If bad stuff's going to happen, why not believe for good stuff? And if the good stuff doesn't happen, let's just trust God. But why hope for bad stuff? And then bad stuff just happens, and then things just get better. Let's believe God for good things. Matthew 7, 11, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask? Maybe one of the great challenges in the, in the human experience is actually believing that God is a good God beyond that which we can even contain or ascertain. Like he is so, so good. T to be honest, I could preach the rest of my life just sermons on the goodness of God. And we would need it. I mean, I, I kind of feel that way on the subject of shame. If I just preached on shame for the rest of my life, we could, we could use it. Because shame is so debilitating. Now it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to in Christ Jesus? Well, it means, first of all, when you receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers through the finished work of the cross and what he did is you actually, right, you're hidden in Christ. But in Christ Jesus, quite literally in the original language means when you enter into Jesus being here with me right now, right now, right now, here's what shame tells you. Shame tells you you're so bad, God is a million miles away because that's how shame works. Think about when someone has told you something bad. Have you ever had one of those late nights, you know? Maybe it's aided by some sort of substance and you're both sitting there and you're just tired. And you're like, all right, I'm gonna tell you this. And you're like, whoa, what are you gonna tell me? And they tell you and you're like, and, and what does our bodies do? Whoa. Right, and suddenly something inside of us is like, I don't know if we should be that close anymore. Like, you did what? I robbed a bank. When? Last week. What? Where's the money? I can't tell you. Are you sure? You know what? But like, think about it. We think about what we do. Someone does something really shameful and we're like, and so what do we do? We believe that's what God does. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are entering into the reality that Jesus is here with you right now. You know what the antidote is to shame is? You need to tell guilt that discrediting, disqualifying, disgraced feeling. You need to tell it Jesus is here and that proves I don't live by shame. He's right here. He's with me. He's with me. If he's with me, I'm okay. If he's with me, now let me tell you, if God is not with you, you are not okay. But if God is with you, you're okay. Trust me, you're okay. Now, the challenge is, is taking that for fact. He's here right now. Oh, he's everywhere, but he's here right now with you, for you, with you, aiding you. The Bible says he's your rear guard. He's your shepherd that leads you. Right, he's all around you. He's, he's here right now. What are you ashamed of? He's here right now. 
What do you feel guilty about? He's here right now. What do you feel like is, is your undoing? He's, he's there, he's here, he was there, he's here. Like he, he's, he's, he hasn't left you. He hasn't removed himself from you. He's, he's, he's here. When everybody else sucks air and gets their distance and builds in margin because you've robbed a bank, he's right there. He's never leaves you nor forsake you. So it starts there. Two more verses, two more verses, two more verses. I took longer on that than I thought I would. Um, that's because I'm looking at your faces and you really needed it. But I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Come on, it's a joke. Um, the next verse is uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. Three verses to use on shame. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. The second question God ever asked man. First question is, where are you? Remember, God asks questions not because he needs an answer, but you need to hear yourself give the answer. Where are you? And the second one is, who told you you were naked? To Adam and Eve, when they missed the mark set by God, when they avoided the orchards on orchards of trees that they could eat and got obsessed with the one tree they couldn't eat. In case you wondered if God stacks the odds in our favor. And so they ate of the tree. And the second question asked by God is, who told you you were naked? Do you want the answer? I have the answer. Who told you you were naked? Look in Genesis, who told them they were naked? No one. I'll tell you what, who told them. Their heart told them. Their heart condemned them. The heart said, you're an idiot. Look what you've done now. You fraud. You fake. Look at you. Whenever our heart condemns us, isn't that why shame is so powerful? Because if we feel it, if something inside of us tells us it's true, then it must be true. I don't know about you, but I don't feel more powerful than my heart. I mean, you ever like inside you, I mean, you feel, I'm not talking about someone walk up to you and be like, you know, shame on you. And you're like, oh, I heard a sermon once by Judah and I don't accept that. You know, that's the, people try to impose shame. That's one level of shame. But what happens when shame bubbles up on the inside and your own makeup says, you are no good. Late at night, all by yourself, he did it again. Look at you. Look at you, you big fraud, you fake. What are we gonna do? We got a verse on it, by the way. When your heart condemns you, not if, when. When your heart condemns you, guess what? Guess who's greater than your heart? Not you, God. And he knows everything. You hear me? He knows everything. That's why I said, who told you you were naked? The answer is, my heart did. I know I'm greater than your emotions. I'm greater than your heart. God is greater. God is greater. God is greater. I want you to use 1 John 3.20 tonight, tomorrow, and the rest of your life. I want you to tell your own emotions. I want you to tell your own feelings. I want you to tell your own sensations. God is greater. Translation, what Jesus did on the cross is greater than what I'm feeling right now. And Jesus said, what on the cross? It's finished. Shame is finished. Those feelings, I don't live 
by my feelings anymore. I live by the fact of imputed righteousness. What is imputed righteousness? It is that Jesus gave me his righteousness. He gave it to me like a cloak. He gave it to me like a coat. He gave it to me like skin. And it's the truth now. And I'm covered in it. And so when my heart says, you're not righteous, God says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He knows everything. I know it's silly and you've heard me say it before, but if you need to just, hey, hey, God's greater than you. It's not, it's literally not who I am. Stop it. Shut up. Like you're telling yourself to shut up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know if you want to do this at like Whole Foods or Starbucks, but like, you know, on the on the eggs and milk aisle, like, hey, relax. You know, I mean, that, that could get complicated, but you never know. Do whatever it takes. God is greater than your heart. Oh, we got a culture. Nothing's greater than your heart. Follow your heart. No, thanks. No, thanks. I did that for too long. That's what got me here. That's why I feel so bad. That's why I got high highs and low lows. I don't want to follow my heart anymore. What's greater than my heart? The heart maker. The heart maker. The righteous. The righteousness giver, right? That, that's, that's God's greater. Hey, God, you're greater than my heart. I could use your help right now because I know that I'm right and I'm not guilty and there's no fear of punishment and that you are here with me right now, but I don't feel that. My heart feels completely condemned, completely guilty, completely disgraced. I feel like a fraud. I feel like a fake. I really could use you. God, you, I know you're greater than my heart. Help me right now. And before you know it, you just prayed. You just talked to God and you just gave him your guilt. And you're like, oh. Oh, that's what it means. Yeah, that's what it means. It doesn't mean our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. It's, 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 hey, it's happening again. I feel dumb for saying this, but like I really feel guilty and I really feel ashamed and I really feel, and I definitely want to change, but I don't want to use this guilt to motivate me to change because that's not lasting change and that'll turn me into my own savior. And so I'm coming to you again and I'm admitting that I am so human and I am so average and I am so broken and I am so incapable of doing this, but you're greater, right? You're greater, right? You're greater, right? Help me. And I end with this. It's just three verses you can use on shame. Look at this one. Looking to Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is one of my favorite verses on shame. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, comma, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm done, this is it. Despising the shame. Let's look to Jesus. So the author of Hebrews says, you should practice this lifestyle of looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. What you're always gonna get from me is a Jesus-focused mentality, a Jesus-focused. I don't think you should be sin-focused. I don't think you should be self-focused. I don't think you should be heart-focused. I don't think you should be performance-focused. I don't think you should be moral-focused. I don't think, I, I, I think you should be Jesus-focused. Forgive me, I don't think you should be Bible-focused. 
What does that mean? Remember Jesus said to the Pharisees, you, you go to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and you think because you memorize the Torah, you have life. But the Torah points to me. So you can memorize all the scriptures in the world, ladies and gentlemen, but if you don't know what the scripture is about, if you don't know who the scripture points to, it is about Jesus. He is the living word. In him, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It is about a person. It is not about principles. We're not here tonight celebrating principles. If you want principles, there's a number of different venues to go to. We are here serving up the creator of heaven and earth. We are here acknowledging that the point of the human experience is the creator of heaven and earth, who is a redeemer, who is the one who became like us, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. He dwelt among us. He was tempted in all ways that we were tempted and yet without sin so that he could become sin. And he said that he would become sin. And he said that he would die on the cross. But then he said, I would come again after three days. I would do what nobody else can do. I would beat death, hell, and the grave to basically tell you I am the God I claim to be we are looking to Jesus the one human being who ever predicted his death burial and resurrection and pulled it off so the point today is Jesus and the writer says he is the founder and perfecter of our faith there's so much there he had a joy in him when enduring the cross and it says about his relationship to shame that day he despised the shame. Now, because of the cultural modern connotation, when I say, if I got up and say, I want you to despise shame, we'd all be like, okay. And what that would conjure up in you is probably an attitude, something like this. I hate shame. Shame, you're stupid. Shame, you're not my friend. I despise you, right? That's, when it says despising the shame, we're like, was Jesus like on the cross being like, shame, you're dumb. No, 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 no. It literally means he became shame. It actually means he looked shame in the eyes. He looked shame in the eyes. Now think about this for a second. Just think about this. I promise I'm almost done. When we get ashamed, where do our eyes almost always go? I say to my kids, look me in the eyes. Sorry, Dad. No, lift up your head. Look me in the eyes. And this started so young. What is that in us? Shame. No, 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 no. Jesus did not defeat the sting and hold and grip of shame like this. He looked shame in the eyes and said, you will have no hold on my children. He willingly was stripped naked, exposed. Did you know Roman citizens couldn't be crucified? It was too humiliating. Do you know that Rome, Rome almost never, from what we can tell, crucified Romans. It was too humiliating to do to their own people. It was almost always outsiders and criminals from other countries. Um, the cross would have been used at like comedy clubs in ancient Rome. Cross was like, if you were like a Roman citizen, you'd be like, the cross, oh my gosh, never. And it, 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 it wasn't so much for the pain. It was that Rome didn't want to impose on their own citizens that level of shame. It was the most despicable, shameful way 
to die. God could have died at the hands of his creation any way he chose. He chose the most shameful. And he hung there. Who told you you were naked? My heart did. Okay. Here's what I will do. I will go naked to a tree made by my children. And I will hang there for six hours. And I will look shame in the face. And I will declare once and for all, you will not hold my children captive. I will defeat shame. And I can prove it to you because it says he looked shame in the face and said, you have no hold on me, comma, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that is one of the most boss portions of scripture in all the Bible. He hung there weak, exposed, and ashamed. And the writer of Hebrews says he did. But his next phrase after the comma is, and then he sat down because there was no longer a struggle to defeat shame. It was done. The shame you're dealing with is an imposter and a liar. And it has no place in your life for those who simply receive the finished work of Jesus. Do you believe it? Do you believe he hung there naked? Who told you you were naked? My heart. I understand. I was naked for you. I took all the embarrassment, all the mocking, all the shame, so that what? You can be covered. You can be hidden in me, forgiven forever. So you tell that old imposter and that liar and that thug, shame has no hold on you. Has no hold on you. Smoke and mirrors are a wild thing. Think about how much shame has affected Jesus' followers. It's all lies. It's all lies. Do you know, in theory, in theory, gospel theory, gospel truth, I should say, shame is to have no role in your life. Did you know that? It's funny because the, we, think, we, we think that the New Testament speaks more of being sin-free, but actually, it's more, quite literally promoting more shame-free than sin-free. What do preachers preach? Stop sinning! I think there's a better sermon. It's called Stop Shaming Yourself because it's a lie that you've believed. It's a lie. I promise you, I wouldn't be sitting in this seat teaching and preaching if I didn't use these three verses on myself. Who can stand? Who can stand amongst us and say, I looked shame in the face and said, you have no hold on me. You, how'd you do that? You aren't sinless. You aren't perfect. We can't do that unless someone could do it for us and could become our sin and take all our shame.
So now we're free. You know, the Bible talks about freedom all the time. And we're all like, free from what? Free from what? Free from your humanness? Free from the need for sleep? Free from weakness and proclivities and temptations? I haven't found any freedom, but let me tell you one of the most prominent, prevalent freedoms you have available to you. Freedom from guilt, shame, disgrace, discredit, all that stuff. Lies. Lies. Why? Because God's greater. Jesus is greater. What he did is greater. If someone said to me, and I'm done, I'm done, church. If you could have one wish for all the people that practice their faith at church home, I think my wish would be that shame would no longer be involved in our life ever again. We could do that, you know. We could do that. We still believe that that horrible, bad feeling we get after doing something dumb is somehow going to help us. I am telling you, it's a lie. It's not going to do anything for you. It's not going to do anything for you. So you tell that old imposter and liar, you're defeated, you get out of here. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. You just try to humiliate or shame one of my kids. And you will see a side of me you have never wanted to see from your pastor. Because if there needs to be a physical altercation to stop you from shaming my children, oh, I can assure you there will be. I love everybody until they shame my kids and I love no one. I don't care where it is. There's been a few moments. You can be the baseball coach. You can be the checkout clerk at the supermarket, wherever. Somebody shames my babies. They used to say it's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> you need to know how your father feels when you are shamed. It provokes him in such a deep and holy loving way. He never wants you to be ashamed. Do you hear me? He never wants you to be ashamed. Don't you drop your head. You lift up your head. You are who you are by the grace of God. There will be no disgrace here. There will be no discrediting here. None of that is applicable any longer. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to rehearse again who we are. And by doing so, who we're not. I thank you that you do not hold our trespasses and sins against us. We are hidden in Christ, hidden in you. And I declare over church home today, there is now therefore no shame, no pending punishment, a sense of doom, no overwhelming sensation of guilt. All of this has been canceled and covered and eradicated because of you, Jesus. 
And I thank you that the distinction that we will have on this earth while living our life will be a shame-free existence. Thank you for confidence. Thank you for assurance. Thank you for comfort that comes from you, Jesus. If you're watching or you're in the studio right now and you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only comes from Jesus, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. You would like to receive the fullness of his forgiveness, the fullness of his finished work on the cross. Jesus died for you. He took the shame for you. He took the punishment for you. He took the penalty for you. Now all you have to do is unwrap the gift. No, actually, that's too much. All you have to do is accept the gift. It's already been unwrapped and placed in your lap. He's the prize. He's the gift. And you're his. If you would like to accept the gift that is available to you in the person of Jesus, on the count of three, just lift up your hand. You know who you are. One, two, three, if that's you, wherever you are in the world, people say, I don't want to lift my hand. I just think when you do, it reminds you that you, are accepting internally and externally that what is happening to you right now is the truth and it's real. You'll never be the same. Jesus, I thank you so much for your forgiveness that flows freely here at Church Home. And I thank you, you have set us free. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.